The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word and, and move uh, into it very quickly here. We've been in a series talking about love has really been the foundation of it uh, because we were identifying the fact that the word love is used so often it can kind of lose some of its potency. So uh, we, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But as we get into the word, as we get started here, I want to give you a few things that we can look forward to as we move through the scripture. So if you're taking notes, you can jot a few things down. Uh, these are things that will be kind of highlights as we move through the Word. We're going to be trusting and believing God uh, to continue to reveal His love to us in the Word this morning. Uh, one of the things that we're going to find, I mean, this is a little tongue-in-cheek, but the 11th commandment. I mean, there's 10 commandments that we're really familiar with, you know, and apparently they ran out of room because there's an 11th commandment and it didn't make the tablets, okay? So I've done that before. You run out of space, try to flip it over, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Obviously being a little goofy there, but 11th commandment, we'll see that in the Scripture here. And the reason why we're going to find that is because it's important for us uh, to know what God prioritizes. Another thing we're going to find is, you're going to like this one, how to be great at anything. Now, my wife probably thinks that I already think that I've got that, right? (laughs) Because I think I'm pretty awesome, no matter what we're doing, right? The weatherman's always wrong. I know what it's going to be, you know, all these things. So, yeah, how to be great at anything. We're going to see that. And then the third thing we're going to find is, what closes the door to sin. I think that's a really important thing, you know, because we become believers, we, we have this wonderful and powerful work of God in our lives. We know and understand that, that corruption is washed away and, and that we've been empowered by the Spirit of God. There's all these wonderful milestones in our lives and moments that we can look back to. In my own life, personally, there's times I'll be in the midst of worship and I'll just think, I wished I could lift my hands higher. Unfortunately, this jacket's getting a little tight these days, so it's kind of like... I'm a little restricted, you know. But anyway, you, I just, because there was a time when I couldn't lift and spread my hands, you know. They would have been bound up or locked up. And today I can think, wow, you have set me free from those things. And now I wish I could just walk around like this. Because it beats walking around like this. So we have all these wonderful things that God's done in our lives and, and these milestones that we can look back to, but yet we can still struggle with and deal with issues of sin. So I think if we can see in the scripture God's design and his plan for closing the door to sin, I think that's an important thing for us to catch. So we're going to jump right in here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be finding out that 11th commandment here in a moment. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. Now these have been foundational verses that we've visited every week as we've discussed love and its importance. Uh, So as we look at this, we're going to be reading these words, and I want you to understand that these words are written to you. I mean, the the first word that we're going to read is the word beloved. So think of this as a letter, a letter that you got in your mailbox, and instead of it having your name and then having all the information that the letter includes, it, it uses your identity, beloved. That's you. That's me. This isn't just something that we found that someone wrote to someone else, and we think we can learn a few things from it. This was written to you. You are the beloved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifest in us, 
that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. Now it goes on to say this in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want to stop there for a second. I'm seeing some really important things. I mean, we've broken down a couple of these things, what it means to, to be born of God and to know God. I mean, last week, understanding that being born of God is really the only way into the kingdom. That's what Jesus said in John. Unless one is born again, he'll never see the kingdom. Knowing God, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that knowing God is eternal life. It's what Jesus said in John 17 when he said, this is eternal life, that they would know you and know the Christ whom you've sent. So we see some really powerful things here, kingdom elements and the, the, the eternal life, the foundations of eternal life. All of these things are contingent upon or conditional upon love. So we've talked about love. Obviously, it's this powerful force, this, this wonderful and, and powerful thing that is meant to be brought into our lives. And yet, because we use the word so often, oftentimes our understanding of love can be a little bit watered down. It can become a little bit common. Now, I'm not wanting to set up a safety net for everyone's vocabulary. I, I caught myself declaring my love for a sandwich this week, right? I mean, it, it happens. It's just kind of in there. But do I love that sandwich? Not really. I mean, I like it. I like it a lot. A whole lot. But I don't love it. So I want to talk about love so that we can understand what love is. And as we come together and as we function and operate in the love of God, and as we live out our lives according to his will, we see wonderful and powerful things released. So I mentioned before we're going to find that 11th commandment. If you have your, your Bibles there, you can turn to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13, looking at verses 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to you. Speaking to me, speaking to, to those who are listening to him for direction, for counsel, those who are his disciples, that's me and you. And as he's speaking to us, he says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you. I mean, that's a powerful word, commandment, right? It's not a new suggestion I give to you. And it's not even just like, hey guys, I know the Ten Commandments are hard, here's a good system, or here's a good lifestyle choice. He's simply saying, I want to give you a new commandment. This is not an option. It's not a suggestion. This is an absolute instruction coming from one who's in authority into your life. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Now my brain hits the brakes right there. I'm thinking, wow, what a wonderful and powerful commandment to give. But I love the idea that Jesus describes this love. I mean, the fact that he's identifying himself as the example, he's introducing his life, his choices, his decisions, his words, his actions as the measuring stake for love. This is the bar for love. When he's saying, hey, this is my commandment to you, that you love one another. He doesn't say, just as Preston loved that sandwich, I want you to love one another. He's saying, just as I have loved you. So then you let the wheels turn there and think, well, how has he loved me? How has Jesus loved me? Well, he loved me completely and fully. It never had to build up. It never you know, started with, well, I kind of like you. And you know you're growing on me. You're not as annoying as you used to be. You kind of got rid of a few bad habits. So you know, you're, you're moving up the ladder here. 
His love is absolute and unconditional. And even when I have been hostile toward him, his love hasn't diminished in any way. There are no strings attached to it. When we consider how Jesus loves us and we consider that as the standard for love, it ought to cause our hearts and our minds to pause and reevaluate our understanding of what love is and how we express it. It's easy to say, but not so easy to do. So when we've turned for a definition of love so that we don't have a, a watered down or a common uh, definition, we, we turn to the scripture, that which is, is true and unshakable. And we find it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Now we've looked here every week. If you want to look there again, I would encourage that because we're going down the list here at the things that make up love. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in, in verse 4, the first words are, love is... So you can just kind of allow your brain to stop there and think about that. Love is dot, dot, dot. All of the descriptive words that follow are going to be identifying what love is. When we express to one another, I love you, when we express to to each other that declaration of love, you're basically saying, I dot, dot, dot you. All of these things that make up love is what I have for you. And if we find that we're lacking in that, then we need to reevaluate our definition of love, make the proper changes in our hearts and in our minds to be revealed through our actions so that we can truly love each other. Here's an example. Love is patient. That was the first one. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? I mean, I know you've heard this example a couple of times, but it's very easy for me to say I love you to my wife. Could I say as easily I'm patient with you? It's very easy for me. Look at the next one. Love is kind. I could easily just say, I love you. The question is, am I kind to her? Uh, These are things that we need to evaluate. We need to look at. Is my love filled with or defined by patience and kindness? It goes on to say, does not envy. Now, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Some of your translations may say, is not jealous. I want to encourage you to consider does not envy. I think the the King James says does not envy. It's a better translation. Here's why. If your Bible says love is not jealous, and we understand that your Bible says God is love, and then we see that the Bible says that God is a jealous God, then we're going to run into some contradictions there, and it doesn't work. So we looked up the difference between uh, jealous and envy, and there were some massive differences. If you missed that message, go back and listen to it. I mean, to be jealous for something is to want something that you're entitled to. My wife is jealous to my time. We're married. She's entitled to my time. But to envy is to want something that's not yours, to covet. And you start to see covetousness throughout the Scripture as a very nasty business. In fact, it is, by definition, idolatry. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant. We talked about that Uh, And love does not act unbecomingly. We spoke about that one last week. And then now this week, love does not seek its own. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. The rest of these attributes that make up love, it's not provoked. It doesn't take into account wrongs suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, it's a really powerful thing when you consider all of these attributes make up what love is. And we're called not only to receive that love from God, but to express that love to each other. 
Just as we read there out of 1 John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just like Jesus' commandment. This is the commandment that I give to you. That you love one another just as I loved you. These standards that are being set in our life for love aren't being set as a burden, but rather they're what we're called to. The reason why we are, are washed clean from the, the, the corruption that exists, existed excuse me, in our lives, the bondage that existed in our lives, and that we're empowered with the Spirit of God, all of that is so that we can love just like God loves. So today we see as we go through this list, love does not seek its own. I want to look at what that means. And of course, as you know, I mean, if you've been in any of the services before, uh, we use a Bible, we use a, a concordance, and then I love the dictionary. Because it's hard to understand what the word is saying if you don't understand the words that are in the word. So we go to the dictionary. If love does not seek its own, I want to look up the word seek and I want to look up own. The word seek by definition. To go in search of, to look for, or to try to discover. And then here's the second definition, and this is the one that stands out to me, and it may to you as well. To try to acquire or gain. To try to acquire or gain. And then you go to look up the word own. If love does not seek its own, we understand that seek is to try to acquire or gain. Own, by definition. To have or to hold as property or to possess. Second definition, to have power or mastery over. Love doesn't seek its own. As you and I are living out our lives, as we're operating in the love that God has brought into our lives, there's no room for us to attempt to try to gain or possess or seek our own lives, to have mastery over ourselves. The scripture is filled with wonderful psalms and scriptures that identify that we've been purchased with a price, that we're no longer our own. We'll see some wonderful things here in the scripture as we continue to understand what love is so that we can live out our lives in that love and see that love released through us. We'll see this. I mentioned before we're going to find how to be great at anything. Right? How to be great at anything. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Matthew chapter 20. I want to look at verses 25 through 28. How to be great at anything. Matthew chapter 20. So it reads like this. Then Jesus called them to himself. And again, it might get a little bit old to you, but consider that Jesus is calling you. That Jesus is literally saying your name and saying, hey, I, I need you to come over here. There's some things that I want to share with you. And Jesus is calling now, it seems like. It's all right. Can I get it? I could answer. It could be really fun. You never know. That could have been a ministry moment. Today is your day. Jesus is coming into your life. But here's, here's what we're looking for. How to be great at anything. We'll see it here in the scripture. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus calls them to himself. So, you know, as you're reading this, don't just read it as words on a page, but consider that Jesus would pull you aside and have this conversation, this moment of impartation with you personally. And Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles or this world, they rule it over people. And their great men exercise authority over others. And then verse 26, I mean, he makes no ifs, ands, or buts about this. He says, it is not that way among you. 
I mean, that's a pretty big statement. You can underline that, circle it. It is not that way among you. Never. He doesn't say, hey, most of the time it's not that way, but sometimes, you know, a pastor's really got to put his foot down or something like that. He literally says always, every time, it's never like that. It's not that way among you. But then he goes on to say, but whoever, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first, he even takes it up a notch here, shall be the slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, do you see the word just as? I mean, once again, we see that. When we read about love earlier, he says, this commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. Here we see, if you're looking for greatness in your life, you're going to have to follow my example just as I did. I didn't come here to, to lord my authority over, but I came here to offer my life in service. That's how we see greatness. In any aspect of your life, if you want to be great in your marriage, serve. If you want to be great in, in ministry, serve. If you want to be great raising your children, serve. If you want to be great in business, serve. If you want to be great in anything based on what Jesus has revealed as a kingdom principle or a kingdom law, however you choose to interpret it, it will require being a servant. I want to read a passage of scripture to you as we see the contrast of these things. That's a passage of scripture that, that some may be familiar with as a, a passage referring to salvation or, or being a, a metaphor for salvation or an allegory for salvation or something like that. And that's fine. That's wonderful, actually. But I want to look at it and maybe look from a slightly different perspective. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, many may be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with it, you're about to be. So I want to read, normally we, we don't read really long passages like this, but I, I want to read this. I think it's important for where we're going this morning. Luke chapter 15, I want to look at uh, verses 11 through 24. Now we're kind of jumping in the middle of the story here, but that's, that's okay. We can catch up. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And he divided his wealth between the sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he'd spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent them to the fields to feed the pigs. Now you have to understand something here. When Jesus is telling this story, he's telling this story to a large group of, of Hebrews. So they would have seen pigs as unclean, and he's animating this story. He's trying to find like the worst of the worst job that you could possibly have. And, you know, going out to feed the pigs is a pretty lowly state of living here. And so he's, he's doing this wonderful job animating the story. And you can just picture the crowd kind of leaning in thinking, oh, my gosh, this guy, this guy's life has taken a turn. It's horrible. So you see here that he's hired himself out to feed the pigs. 
And it says that he would have gladly filled his own stomach with the same food the pigs were eating, but no one was giving him anything. And when he came to his senses, now that's a really cool way to talk. I'm thinking, way to go, Jesus, because that's really what happens in people's lives. You have moments that I believe are ordained by God and motivated by the Spirit of God where literally the light switch goes on and, and all of a sudden we come to our senses and we realize, wow, I've been ruining my life and God has better for me. In verse 17, but when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying of hunger here. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to my father, I've sinned. I will go to my father and say, father, father, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. Make me one of your servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran out to embrace him and kiss him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the other slaves, quickly, go bring out the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate it. For this son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and now he was found and they begin to celebrate. What a wonderful story. Now you can easily see uh, uh, the, the implication of sin and corruption and then redemption and salvation. And that's a wonderful thing. Don't lose sight of that. But I want to look at the mentality of the son for a moment. The young son. The son who walked up to his father while his father is standing, living and breathing and said, I want my share of the estate. When is an estate divided up? At death. So here's basically what he told his dad. I wish you were dead. You're getting in my way, old man. Uh, If only you could just breathe your last right now. Write me a check. Breathe your last. Life would be good. It's the most incredible insult that could ever be given to a father. The son goes to his dad and he says all of these things. Why? Why would he be doing that? Well, he's obviously not content with the way his life is and he wants it to be another way. As soon as he gets what he wants, what does he do? He changes his whole situation. He moves to another place. He lives a different lifestyle that the Bible refers to as loose. He begins to squander all of that money, meaning before it wasn't being squandered, now it is. Big changes going on. This guy is seeking his own. He's seeking his own way. He wants to do it his way. Dad, I don't like the way you're managing my estate. I need you to cut me a check right now because I think I could handle it better than you. Seeking my own. And we know love doesn't seek its own. And then we see a turning point here. After all of the suffering and all of the the heartache and all of the the starvation and the hunger, after this, this horrible thing goes wrong, all of the seeking his own goes wrong, the Bible says he comes to his senses, and when he comes to his senses, he makes this declaration. I I see now that I would be much better off being a servant. I my life would be better if I were a servant. He goes back to his father and he makes that declaration. 
admitting and confessing and repenting that when he sought his own, he was in sin, not just in sin against his Father, but in sin against heaven. When he sought his own, he was in error. But in response now, he sees with repentance that his desire is to be a servant. And his father, I love the response of his father. Letting his son make this statement, make this declaration was a wonderful and powerful thing. You know he's not a spoiled, rotten kid because a dad that had spoiled his son would never let him say that. He would have thrown the robe on him and the ring on him before he ever got a word out of his mouth. But the son stands before his dad and humbles his heart completely saying, Father, I sought my own and it was a disaster. I sought my own and it nearly killed me. I see now that I'm better off being a servant. And it's when the father heard this. Did you catch that? When the father heard that, then the father responds and says, go get the robe, go get the ring, go get the sandals and put them on the boy. Now it's interesting the way he says that. You know, go get a robe, go get a ring, go get sandals. He doesn't say go get his robe. Go get his ring and go get his sandals. He doesn't say, hey, go up to his bedroom. His robe's up there. His ring's up there. These are things this kid never had before. But the dad is listening to the heart of the son who's no longer going to seek his own but is committed now to living the life of a servant and the father now realizes he's qualified. He's qualified to represent my house. Go get the robe. Go get the ring. Put sandals on his feet. My boy now gets it. He didn't get it before. He was dead before and now he's alive. He was lost before and now he's found. That's not just the declaration of a father saying, hey, my kid came home. Isn't that awesome? It's the declaration of a father saying, my child has had a transformation. He was once selfish and sought his own. And after tasting what that leads to, he's now back here transformed, ready to be a servant. He's now qualified to lead. But he wasn't before. The only thing he was qualified to do before was live loose and waste money. There's a transformation that needs to take place in our lives for true love to be released, for true leadership to be released. Love does not seek its own. There's an attitude that we're meant to have. And remember, we we'd heard just as from Jesus twice. Just as. Love just as I've loved you. When he spoke about leadership, lead in the same way, just as I've shown you as a servant. We'll see this attitude revealed in Philippians chapter 2. If you you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In fact, if there were a spot in my Bible that there was a crease where it had been opened up to so often that the pages were starting to come apart, I would hope that it would be Philippians chapter 2. Listen to these words and and understand how incredibly powerful these things are. It's revealing of the attitude that we are called to have as believers. As those who have turned away from seeking our own, returned to our Father, and now committed to and ready to serve. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. It starts with this, have this attitude in yourselves. So what you're about to see is the attitude that we're meant to have. It goes on to describe the attitude that it mirrors. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Basically, that is a long and fancy way to say he didn't seek his own. 
but rather he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. Being made as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Now verse 9 is really amazing to me. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. When we leave away the self-seeking ways that exist in our lives naturally and are so existent in this world, when we separate ourselves from those ways, when we renounce those ways, when we identify those ways as sinning against heaven and sinning against our Father, when we identify those ways as corrupt, we abandon them and we pursue a life of a servant. We position ourselves for that exaltation. We become qualified to lead, to function, to be effective in the kingdom of God and in every aspect of our lives. Now you see something as Jesus ministers, as he lives, as he is working with those around him in John chapter 5 verse 30. He, he makes it very clear. He reveals the, the mechanics behind the, the fruitfulness of everything that he does. And I've got an appreciation for this. There are, are men that I've ministered with or been around. When I mentioned Nigel is coming here, that's, that's a wonderful thing. I've seen miraculous and powerful things through Nigel's ministry and, and have been the recipient of some of those things as well. I mean, the, the testimony that I could share is really powerful. But I remember being at a meeting with him, and he gave me an invitation to, to, to walk the altar with him. That's what he said. He said, hey, would you walk the altar with me tonight? Just, just stay a foot beside me, and just when I move, you move. If I move to the left, move to the left. If I move to the right, just, just observe. He just wanted me to observe. And I thought, wow, what a great, wonderful invitation. And, and he, he let me observe. And I watched as he ministered, and wonderful things were happening. And let me tell you, every time I saw something, a thousand questions started rolling in my head, thinking, how did that happen? How did that work? Can you please tell me how that works? And I have to think that Jesus is revealing these things to the disciples who are watching him minister. They're watching him feed multitudes with, with somebody's lunch. They're watching the, the lame rise up. They're watching the sick be healed. They're seeing all of this stuff. And with all of the, 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 the authority and the power that he's operating in, there's tremendous joy and celebration. But with all of that joy and celebration, you know they have questions. How did that happen? What is going on? I love it, don't stop it, it's great, but I, I can't begin to wrap my mind around how that just happened. And the wonderful thing is, that was okay. So Jesus reveals to us these things as he's, he's speaking. You see it in John chapter 5, verse 30. He's revealing the, the how-to here. When he says, I, I do nothing on my own initiative. Once again, a fancy way of saying, I don't seek my own. I just don't seek my own. I do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. As my, my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but I seek the will of him who sent me. Love does not seek its own. Love is surrendered to the will and the direction and the counsel of God. And love is committed to the raising up of others, not to step on them so that we can stand taller but to get beneath them, behind them, and lift them up so that they can be promoted. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here as we prepare to close. We saw that the, we were going to find what closes the door to sin. Issues of sin or challenges in our life that seem to be recurring that we want to close the door to. Pay attention to this passage of Scripture. You, you may find your biblical solution to that challenge. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. 
Galatians 5 verse 13. It's speaking to you. It's identifying you. It says, for you were called to freedom. That's you. That's me. For you were called to freedom. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for sin. But through love, serve one another. That's it. I want to read it again, and then I want to let the the wheels turn on that. You, me, you were called to freedom. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for sin, but rather love. Through love, serve one another. So if I'm writing this passage of Scripture and I'm thinking, hey, you were called to freedom. Don't let your freedom be an opportunity for sin. Be righteous. It's not what it says. What it says is you were called to freedom. Don't let your freedom be an opportunity for sin, but through love serve one another. We close the door to sin when through love we commit to serve one another. When we're no longer seeking our own, but we are are committed to the well-being of those around us, we begin to shut the door for selfish, self-seeking sin and corruption to be active in our lives. When we take on that attitude that we're called to have in Philippians 2, that same attitude that was in Jesus Christ, we begin to close the door for all of those corrupt thoughts, actions, and activities to exist in our lives. Just like the prodigal son, when we come to that realization that self-seeking or self-serving or seeking our own is only leading to poverty, corruption, hunger and lack, complete destruction, we open up the door to what is right. We close the door to what is evil. And we come to a place where we're functioning and operating in the love that God's called us to, to serve one another. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray together before we dismiss. If you've missed any of the other messages, I want to encourage you to to do your best to get caught up. The patience, the kindness, the freedom from arrogance and bragging. The goal behind this isn't just to fill a time slot on Sunday, but it's to come to a place where love is genuine and true in our lives. A place where we can be a a congregation and a body, a community, where the true love of God exists and flows from one to another. I mean, by the confession of Jesus, that is how we're identified in this world as believers. And without that, we're left lacking and empty. I want to trust and believe God to do something great in our hearts. That there can be an awakening, an awareness. No matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how long we've been believers, that we could come to a place where we surrender to the Holy Spirit to search our hearts for any seeking of our own, any self-seeking that would lead to corruption. That we can lay that down. That we can open up the door for all that is right and close the door to sin and corruption. So there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do something in each of us. I want to see God do something in our hearts that would transform who we are in our minds, that would transform how we think. And the Bible calls us to have our mind renewed so that we won't look like the world. I want to trust and believe God to do those things even here and now this morning. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a state of agreement. I want to pray for you, for me, for us together. Father, we thank you for your word that you've revealed to us your perfect love. We thank you, Father, for the call that you have placed upon our lives to not only receive that love, but to see that love flow through our lives to touch those around us. 
And I'm asking now in Jesus' name, for me, for all of those here, that by your spirit, a wonderful and powerful work would be done in our hearts and in our minds. That you would reveal and uncover areas of our life where we seek our own. Lead us to a place where we can trust in you that when we release that, you'll catch us. That when we release those things and when we stop trying to save and preserve ourselves, that you will do a wonderful, mighty, and powerful work according to your promises in us. Let there be a freedom from that self-seeking that we might step into the attitudes, the mindsets, and the actions of servants. We want to follow in the example of our King Jesus, that we wouldn't seek our own, but that we would seek out those around us whom we could serve. And let love be real, let it be genuine, let it be powerful, let it be received and let it be released through each one of our lives. And let it be done so in such a way that those in this world would see and know that we're followers of our King Jesus. And let your kingdom be expanded and let your name be exalted. Be glorified as we live out our lives in love. We bless your name and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.